Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Hello everyone and welcome to the movie trap. Uh, I am the first of your three hosts, Zach Powers. I am the second of the three hosts, Russell Carlson. And I'm the third of three hosts, Christian Boroff. <laughs> Correctly <laughs> ordered now. Incorrectly ordered. Um, In reverse alphabetical. That's reverse alphabetical. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that That's was the whole thing. Order. It's, That's an it's order. Re- I thought it was reverse alphabetical based off whoever it is that's doing the announcement. So then it's a clockwise pattern beyond it. It's <laughs> always clockwise, regardless of who is starting. It's always going to go in the same order. That's the idea. Alphabetical. Doesn't matter who's starting. So just, if it strikes 12, the clock goes back to one. That is how clocks work. Uh, our movie trap theme is going to be one of these days. How to read a clock. Yeah. We'll fix your movies. It'll be like high noon. We'll watch you know, season movies. two of Hannibal and that'll be right. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll have to watch all of 24 because yeah. there's a constant running clock. Um, An anyway, analog welcome. clock, which is not particularly helpful in this particular. Yes, this true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to the movie trap. We are in the middle of of our political thrillers theme chosen by Chris Boroff. This would be movie number two. Uh, to give you a quick rundown of how this is going to go down, uh, each theme is chosen by a host and then each host picks a movie. Uh, Chris previously chose the Parallax View. And for today's episode, it was my choice and I chose All the King's Men. Um, they, um, um, with oh. the special caveat that each of us also has three points to award to the other uh, hosts if we see fit and only Correct. if we see fit. Correct. Uh, which will give them more voting power come the end of the round. Last Correct. episode, uh, no, no bonus points, points were no awarded to points. anyone. We all did a shitty job. Yeah, that's right. On Nobody, the parallax view, that's everybody right. sucked. <laughs> well, we know we well, did. Well, I mean, maybe on the this one, it you know, we'll uh, we'll be inspired to join the theme of the film since it's based off <laughs> Huey Long, uh, each man a king, uh, mm-hmm. distribute the wealth. I think was what his main slogan was. So, Carlson, uh, this was your pick, right? Yes, it was. All the King's Men, and um, yeah, it's directed uh, by Robert Rosen. Uh, movie came out in 1949, based off the novel by Robert Penn Warren, which also won the Pulitzer Prize in 1947. Um, Penn Warren always fought against the comparison against Huey Long. Um, he, he said, yeah, it's inspired by Huey Long, but I think he was more upset at the criticisms he was being labeled, whether it was an apology for, for Huey Long, or if he was condoning the assassination of Huey Long. Um, but before I get into all the spoiler fun, Zach, do you have a summary or do you want me to do the summary? Uh, yeah, I could run through real quick, uh, the, the story of, uh, old Willie Stark. Um, and I can also, after that's done, I, I think there's a few fun differences between the novel and the um, and the film adaptation Excellent. Uh, that we could discuss, too. Excellent. Uh, but first, the summary. So the film, uh, the film is sort of narrated in a great Gatsby-esque style by a side character who's largely an observer to the main action, uh, who admires the central character, very similar to the great Gatsby in that regard. Uh, Jack Burton is, uh, Burden is, uh, our narrator and semi protagonist, our point very, of view character. Very subtle last name. Don't you think? Yes. He comes from <laughs> Burden's landing. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, the, the trivia fact about the original name from the original character is also a, uh, pretty on the nose the, pick. Yeah. yeah. We can uh, do that later. So uh, he he is a rich kid who wants to make a name for himself uh, and has been bouncing from job to job for a while when he becomes a journalist. And here's tell of an up and coming sort of populist figure in. I don't know if they ever named the they state. They don't name the state. They yeah. don't name the state in a or, sort or of what political party anybody actually belongs to. Right. You get so a vague he, sense in terms of modern politics, what parties people might be part of, but. Based off the time and, period, and I think it was still shifting. Of the time, uh, I think yeah. oh, for sure. I think it's pretty clear that uh, that Stark would have been a, a 
an FDR New Deal Democrat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Baby Don like Huey Long. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was a little contradiction in what Huey Long, Long believed. Huey Long was a mercurial <laughs> political figure. Yeah. yeah you, but you, he was a Democrat. Yes, um, he was. In the South, not that surprising. Yeah, in he, he was described as a uh, dictator at the state level, one of the only successful dictators at the state level until he died. So, yeah, very strange character. But keep going, Zach. Uh, regardless, he finds out about a fella in a small town in unnamed state who's causing sort of a political stir named Willie Stark, who uh, has sort of some conflicts with the the political machine that has run the state for some time. The, the uh, Tammany Hall, if you will. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of men in back rooms with cigar scenes early in the film that uh, represent the political machine. And this guy, he wants to do what's right for the everyman. He wants infrastructure. He wants to spread uh, the wealth, all of these good sort of populist socialist ideas. And he decides uh, when Burden comes down to, to interview him, that he's going to run for treasurer, uh, for treasurer of the state. And uh, he is roundly defeated. Um, uh, and many and many people write it off as the end of Willie Stark. But Willie Stark does seem like a, a genuine family man, uh, an honest fella who is truly looking out for the good of the common man at this yeah, point when, in the narrative. Yeah, for when sure. he's first introduced, he won't even drink a beer. Like, he's offered That's a right. beer, and he's like, I'd rather have soda pop instead. And then he uh, takes exception to the fact that the uh, political glad hander makes fun of one of the character. I believe the character named Sugar has a yeah. stutter. Yeah. And yes. he has a very memorable line in there about that, uh, you know, is essentially him saying, you know, don't pick on people. But yeah, it, he may stutter, an, but you don't say anything at all, yeah. I believe is the it's, line. It's a good setup for where he's going, yeah. Yeah. Um... So uh, everybody writes him off after he loses his treasury race. But uh, little they know, Willie Stark uh, begins to study law, spends the next few years becoming a lawyer uh, and begins to take up causes for for the little guy. After that, often like there's scenes of him offering deals to people being like, you can pay me back whenever you want to. I just want to represent you in your case. Right. And suddenly uh, a school building with lousy infrastructure, collapses, kills a dozen children. Huge, huge tragedy. And people are drawn again to Willie Stark, who A, takes up the case, and B, had championed the idea that there needed to be these kind of reforms and infrastructure changes and things years earlier. Uh, And he has a second political wind all of a sudden uh, as a populist candidate. And he is initially against the idea of running for governor um but eventually the he is roped into it in part by the political machine itself who need what they think of as a a stooge or a fool that they can use to scoop up some votes and then do their will a proxy like a hudsucker proxy Mm -hmm. exactly um so these folks try to manipulate willie convince him to run for governor And he starts out his campaign an extremely uninspiring candidate in spite of his recent swell of popularity. His speeches all revolve around tax reform and in-detail policy that uh, still no one gives a fuck about when you talk about it in a speech. (laughs) It's, yeah, not what anybody wants to hear. They want to hear big, bold proclamations, not... Mm -hmm. Not yeah. the nitty gritty it, of how shit it, gets done. It, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like uh, what uh, what's his face used to always say about Apple. Like when people broke down um, Steve Jobs uh, speeches, mm-hmm. he always, when giving an example, wouldn't give numbers. He would give how you can use it because then it makes it apply to a person's life rather than be such an abstract concept. And it's just it's like watching, you know, like a teacher give announcements or something in these scenes because it's so ah. dull how he's trying to explain it. It's just awful. <laughs> Yeah, he always starts his speech with what this state needs is tax reform. And they have various shots of people wandering away from his speeches as he talks about this, you know, in detail Mm -hmm. tax tax code shit. (laughs) Um, So uh, he begins to realize his campaign is doomed. uh, And uh, at the behest of one of his campaign aides, uh, this is what was her name? Uh, Cass. 
Cass. No, Cass, I, Cass. Yeah, I think so. I'll look that yes. up to confirm. Uh, Cass, he gets blind drunk one night uh, to, to, you know, mark the end of his prospects as governor, theoretically. And the next day shows up to his campaign speech still drunk. And rather than recite the preordained speech he had, he gives this firebrand speech about how all the people in this state are hicks and he himself is a hick that came for nothing from nothing. And the machine doesn't give one shit about you. They don't say that it's from 1949, but he does. They lie to me and they lie to you. He knows what what the struggles of Hicks are. He knows crops failing. He knows roads that can't take your crops to market. Sick kids, lack of education. He knows all of that. And the machine doesn't want to give it to you. The machine doesn't know it. They just care about their power. And that's his new campaign. Like his campaign changes overnight and he becomes this firebrand, populist, will of the people kind of character. And... At this point, uh, Burden, who's been covering his uh, his political campaign, um, is told by his editor in chief to drop him. Uh, the The machine doesn't want us to cover Stark anymore. They want us to consolidate uh, behind the opponent, who's a little bit more of a mainstream, you know, going to keep the wheels turning kind of candidate. And so Burden quits the paper. Uh, decides they're shills and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, news. It it's funny because in this part of the film you don't know where it's going and it almost feels a little bit like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, like the the yeah. little guy is exactly. going to be giving it to the big guy. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, it's fun. Yeah, and I, for clarification, uh, the campaign manager his name is Sadie. Yeah, she won an Oscar. That's right. Mercedes right. McCambridge yeah. Cambridge won an Oscar right. for it. So there's three. The three most uh, prominent uh, female characters are Sadie, the campaign manager, Lucy, which is Willie's wife, and uh, Anne, which is uh, Jack Burden's sort of crush slash girlfriend. Old um, early childhood friend. You know, they've yeah. known each other since they were kids. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, Ultimately, Willie loses his campaign, but he's not uh, he's not sad at all, Um, though he is a little changed by the experience. They show him going into a bar and ordering several drinks. At this point, Sugar, the stutterer, um, has sort of gotten over his stutter stutter and become his his like right. One of his right hand man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who kind of idolizes Stark. Yeah. It's probably and, one of the few people that actually stood up for him at any point. So, yeah, he's sticking behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Stark says, I'm not I'm not worried about this loss because I learned how to win. Jack jumps from job to job for four years and Stark starts another campaign for governor. And this time he takes he takes it. He wins. Uh, he wins the governorship and promises, you know, a new era for unnamed state (laughs) Um, and he gets Jack to jump on to uh, to join his team and to his credit it seems like he does a lot Uh, he builds museums builds a lot yeah yeah he builds museums schools roads Um, they're building a hospital football stadiums it's interesting that the entire like surge of his political career and all these things are essentially handed the same way in which like a uh, an 80s like action film handles getting ready to like fight the big battle where it's like <laughs> it's just a, it's just an action montage of like road built ch- child happy hospital going in like all these things keep happening around him and you're like I don't know how any of that occurred but a lot of it's happening very quickly on screen so sure kinda, yeah okay it, it kind of reminds me of the movie Spotlight you know where the climax of the film is literally going through a spreadsheet you know, and yeah. highlighting things. That's the highlight. That, that's, that's literally the climax of the film. That's the rising action. Uh-huh. Well, as Willie's ability to become an extremely efficient political figure increase, uh, his relation, his personal relationships begin to sort of deteriorate and become increasingly manipulative. Um, he begins to frequently cheat on his wife, Lucy, uh, Sadie believes that eventually he will, when it is politically convenient, leave Lucy and marry her because she's kind of not unlike Sugar and Jack at certain points in the narrative become 
obsessed with him. They've put him on a pedestal and and made him sort of a, a messiah or a, a you know somebody who's going to save not they just project- the state but maybe America. Yeah. Well, they've kind of done what everybody in the populace did. They projected their hopes and dreams on this person and just imagine that there's no way he could possibly break our hearts. And then we find out. Yes. His his followers are extremely fervent. They love they love the hell out of him. Um, Yeah, they think he took down the machine Um, and he does a lot of wheeling and dealing. He's cutting deals in back rooms with unscrupulous people. Yeah. he even goes to Jack's family and his childhood friends, most notably Anne's family, the the Stantons, um, which the most prominent of which are Anne's father, Judge Stanton, and Anne's brother, Adam Stanton, who is a uh, prominent doctor um, and promises them new hospitals, uh, all kinds of reforms if they just lend him support and a little money. Um, which they initially do. Um, and he, uh, goes on to go through his term, but he is ultimately betrayed by a number of, uh, political scandals. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty hilarious because of the, uh, the way all this works out, it feels like a Trump origin story. I, it's just, yeah. I know you're still going through it, but it just, every time it feels so strange watching this because you start rooting for him and then the other shoe drops and you realize <laughs> what you've, what you've found yourself in. Yeah. It is yeah. eerily prescient. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, he like finds people rooting around in public funds and makes them give him like resignation letters that he can sign whenever he wants to hold over their heads. Uh, so they'll, you know, follow in his exactly as he wants them to do. Um, his, uh, his son, uh, begins to turn to drinking because his relationship with his father has fallen apart. And there's a bit of a Chappaquiddick, uh, situation Mm -hmm. where the son is in a car crash with a young woman who nearly dies. I don't believe she does die, but I think she almost dies. I think she's like paralyzed forever, a conscious or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the son, the son's, the son's paralyzed. I think that she, that's uh, that's that's later. That's later. later. Yeah. That's later. Later. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the father accuses the son of drinking and driving, which, you know, Willie covers up, but the son admits to when the guy comes to to see him, and that guy disappears uh, a little while later. Um, a lot yeah, of he, so- well, he he dies. He dies. He's totally murdered. Is what happens. Right. Yeah. Uh, later, much later, wait, they wait, find wait. his body yeah. beaten. To Sorry, death. when you said but disappeared initially. in the context of it being about a movie, we could think that he just stopped being just written about. But he's, right. oh, he's this he's could dead. be phantasm. <laughs> this could be phantasm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Later in the movie, they find his body and he's been beaten to death. Um, Judge Stanton, uh, seeing that uh, Willie's become a manipulator, a wheeler and dealer, someone who uh, does not always follow the law, decides to resign, uh, which is another political blow to uh, to Willie Stanton that he does not take uh, lightly. Um, his response is to try and pull... Uh, Judge Stanton's son into directing the hospital he's making to like get the Stanton name back on his side because they're such powerful figures in unnamed state. <laughs> um, but uh, Stanton, Adam Stanton uh, refuses. His sister is apoplectic at this, beginning to belie the fact that she has stronger feelings for Willie Stark than previously admitted. And Jack is sent to try and track down any dirt on Judge Stanton so that he can bring him down to his level and get rid of this albatross. But as it were, uh, just as his reelection campaign is ramping up, uh, his son is um, forced to play football, frankly, by Willie, who wants to create control every aspect of his personal life lucy obviously knows he's been having an affairs and has grown distant from him but has to play at being you know a doting wife a governor's wife yeah exactly uh and one day uh when willie forces um his son tommy to 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 play uh, on a day when he did not want to play football he is tackled especially hard and paralyzed for life 
So his family life is essentially destroyed at this point. Um, and at the, about the same time, they discover the body of that man I mentioned earlier who had been beaten to death. And Willie is brought up on impeachment charges. So he's in the fight of his life over this impeachment thing. He pulls out all the stops. He does every trick he knows. He gets all of his supporters. Jack is becoming disillusioned, uh, starting to understand what a scummy politician uh, Stark, Willie Stark, is. And Anne is becoming even more enamored with him. He shares with Anne the fact that he did find some dirt uh, on her father at a certain point. And it is also revealed that Judge Stanton is the main force trying to get Willie impeached. He's the one corralling votes to make sure that Willie gets kicked out of office. So Willie uh, eventually goes to Judge Stanton to confront him to try and get the impeachment charges completely dropped to make him tell the senators to vote to let him stay in office and reveals that even though Jack never gave it to him, somehow he got a hold of this blackmail on Judge Stanton. Um, pretty quickly, it's revealed that Anne clearly gave it to him uh, after after Jack shared it with her. And, and, and this is also a reveal at the same time, because yeah. uh, uh, an underlying subplot is that uh, the doctor that has been helping them is also the brother of yeah. Anne. It's Anne's yeah. brother. So, Adam, yeah. Anne's Jack, brother. Adam, and Anne were all childhood friends. They've known yes. each other for And yeah. Adam and Anne are, are, are brother and sister. Uh, Anne turned on her own father, basically, and gave away this blackmail. Um, uh, her and she is implied heavily to have been sleeping with Willie uh, Stark at this point. Um, and in love with. She's, and in love with. Yeah. yeah. Much like Sadie. Sadie has also yeah. become disillusioned with him at this point and realized that he is going to jump from woman to woman, that he'll do whatever Willie Stark wants to do. And that's really all he cares about. Um, so Judge Stanton, faced with this old uh, scandal from 25 years prior kills himself. Uh, and as a result, the next day under huge political pressure with Willie's fans screaming outside the state Capitol, the impeachment fails and Willie is allowed to stay in power. Jack, uh, has left his campaign and has been told that, that, uh, he, Willie's going to break it off with her. He's done with her. Basically. She has nothing left. She's trying to apologize to her brother for basically her role in their own father's death. And so Jack and Anne search to find what happened to Adam, her brother. Turns out he is at the state capitol himself with a gun where he shoots Willie Stark uh, several times and is himself killed by bodyguards. Um, and Jack says to Anne that... Their work's not done. The people in the crowd still see Willie Stark as a hero. And they need to reveal the true Willie Stark. And the film ends with Willie uh, dying on the steps of the state capitol, uh, muttering to himself. And that is the story of all the king's men. Very, and, very well summarized. Very well summarized. And, very well summarized and for anyone who's watching in the last 10 seconds of that uh apologies for the pop-up that said the 40 minute zoom call was being made free for us <laughs> we're real uh, professionals folks uh, yeah <laughs> it's it's okay um but yeah the uh the ending was kind of strange to me because it was it's like a very old timey ending where it doesn't take a lot of time on the denouement it gets you there and it just ends Yep. And you're just like, all right, it's yeah, time to get I, out of the theater. That's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, especially considering how nihilistic the whole thing has been up to that point and then was such a kind of violent and indeed absolute end of the whole story. It, it does feel like, you're, oh, you're done with me. You know, like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll be on my way then. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, Zach, you wanted to talk about the, the differences between the novel and the, and the, and the, and the movie, I, I know that they were kind of numerous in the fact that the judge wasn't necessarily the father of no, Adam the judge, and Anne. The judge was a, a childhood uh, friend slash mentor to Jack, but Anne and Adam's father in the novel is actually the governor prior to Willie Stark. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Um, 
That makes sense. And it, it you know, I, apparently like doing this movie was directed by Robert Rosen. This is back in the day when a director producer really wanted oh, uh, to do sorry, something. Sorry, there's one other thing. Sure. Um, the other twist that is not in the movie is that the judge uh, was not just a uh, mentor. Oh, it right. is revealed late in the narrative that the judge was Jack's father. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. The, I, I read the, the same thing. There's a, one other thing in it. Um, the main character uh, of Willie, uh, his name was Talos, I believe, in the that's novel. Right. That was that's one of correct. the things that came up. So it that was, was like it was Talos based off Talos, who I think was in a uh, a very old story about fairy queen the i think fairy princess yeah okay. the fairy queen uh he was yeah. a he was a bad guy in that so yeah it was supposed uh, to be based off that name wise it seems like what happened is in the published version he is called willie stark but in mm-hmm. the original manuscript he was called willie talos uh after a character yeah. from the epic poem the fairy queen but in the actual printed original version he was willie stark yeah uh, they did the like 2002 a 2002 restored version there you go willie talos is the, yeah. is the name of the character Yep. Yeah, That's and it. and and it was originally like a stage play, and you could sort of get that vibe, uh, even in this movie that it you could see this being on stage. Um, so yeah, I think that. Um, but it, it's it's back in the day where you had a director producer who, when they liked a source material, they could just go and get it. You know, they didn't necessarily need studio backing, and so I mean, basically, Robert Rosen's the one who approached Warren for the rights to this film and had it. And he was working on it forever, apparently. So, I mean, this is all kind of Rosen's kind of baby here. Um, and, I mean, and people Harry can Cohen, still do that. Oh, people yeah. People can still do still that can. now. It's just in the independent circuit. Like, if, And uh, if anything is like a bestseller like this, I believe, was, it's it was not a likely that... winner, for sure. Yeah, yeah, like an individual director is unlikely to be able to pull that. But, yeah, at the time, it was uh, very different rules, very different yeah. laws. So, yeah, they could so, do that. It, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the notion of like kind of an auteur was not that hard to come by. And, and Rosen's kind of that with this film specifically, and he was in his later films as well. I mean, he's the kind of director that when he bites off more than he can chew, it gets to be really boring. Like uh, his Richard Burton film, Alexander the Great. I, I, I've mm-hmm. only, I remember seeing it when I was very little and I remember being kind of just kind of one of those movies that Hollywood made in the 50s all the time. Um, but he directed my favorite movie of all time, The Hustler. Um, and there's a lot of similarities in, in The Hustler and in this. Because uh, I watched this a long time ago because I remember they were making that fucking remake. Mm-hmm. Um and so I decided, well, I'm going to... Oh, the remake, yeah. Oh, yeah, they remade it in, like, 2006, I think. Sean Penn played uh, Stark, um, and, yeah, anyway. It's a pretty stacked <laughs> cast, actually. Uh, it is. In, in the 2006... So they had Sean Penn as Stark, Jude Law as Jack Burton, Kate Winslet as Anne, Anthony Hopkins as the judge, James Gandolfini as Tiny. I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure which character Tiny is. Tiny Duffy, he's uh, the you know the power broker that he's kind of running against at the beginning. Oh, and at that's the beginning. Why, even in the summary, as soon as he gets, as soon as Willie Stark becomes governor, Tiny Duffy has a job. You know, so he's bringing in the old political machine with right. him. Um, so that's what's the, the kind of farce of of this but, whole populism thing. But they also have uh, Mark Ruffalo as Adam Stanton. Also, yeah. so yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a great cast, but it was a massive yeah. failure, right? Yeah, yeah it was a huge, was a huge flop, bomb. Very, very bad reviews. Yeah, I don't even remember this movie coming out. I I, I saw it in theater because I I was kind of prepped for it, and I thought it was you know. And when I found out it was a Rosen uh, film, I thought, well, you know, that's gonna be bold to try to do that, and it wasn't that great. Um, they lean heavily into the long. I mean, they make it very clear mm-hmm. that it's in Louisiana. You know, like whereas all the Kingsmen in 1949 was filmed in like California, Stockton. You know, it looks just like the Badlands of you know Colorado of California and. You know, yeah, a lot of the um, extras are supposed to just be people from Stockton, but right. uh, and apparently yeah. it was uncommon to film in that location. So good on them that they like. It's know, probably still uncommon suit. to film in that location. I yeah, think it's just a that, large that, industrial area now. Yeah, apparently it's, that courthouse that the movie's based on is no longer there. So hmm. it is. It is a uh, very interesting. The guy who wrote and directed the 2006 version also wrote schindler's list yep gangs yeah. of new york the irishman yep. he's quite a quite an accomplished yeah, uh, right. writer. that's uh, it just goes to show i mean look at the cast and crew of zardoz and you will see a very very competent group of people who know how to make movies and yet somehow i mean like you're if you just take this script yeah. and remake it how can you go wrong but sometimes it just doesn't work like that you know it takes yeah. 
the magic of of kind of Broderick Broderick Crawford playing Willie Stark, right? Um, yeah. and and not just that, a, a pretty impressive supporting cast around him. Um, you know, it, it, well, it, with it, the the infrastructure of films and how things get picked and decided it's almost impossible for anything to come out ever so when something good comes out it's amazing when something bad comes out it's like oh i could see that coming yeah so right. yeah it's, yeah right yeah but in this one it's it's exciting uh also just since we're getting into it with the script uh did you guys read the thing about john wayne i did no. hear that story i didn't okay. I did hear that story okay uh when they first wrote this they were trying to get a star attached so they were hustling it around town showing it to different people and rosen sent it to John Wayne's agent and John Wayne's agent sent it over. And then when he read it, um, the level of intensity John Wayne had responding to the politics by it. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, how dare you uh, besmirch the, uh, uh, the political machine or how our great country and laws happen. I mean, it was 100% John Wayne being a Republican dick. Um, You could see his like fuck communists, like lighter business, like way earlier in his life. Um, that's I, uh, a uh, that's a Punisher or uh, 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 pre- preacher reference. I yeah, think? that is a preacher reference. Yeah, yep, I remember that because he's yeah. Um, um, but yeah, he came on it really intense and basically told them you should change all these things and not send it to anyone. Uh, and of course, they just kept going until they found someone else who would do it. It's just funny because of how leftist this is and how intensely right wing we would eventually find out John Wayne was. It's but it, even more ironic is that uh, both Broderick Crawford, who plays Willie Stark, was up for an Oscar for Best Actor mm-hmm. against John Wayne for The Sands of Iwo Jima, and uh-huh. fucking Crawford won. So you know, um, and and well deserved too. I thought Broderick Crawford really did it. He's for being such a large kind of force of nature that you've got to play for Willie Stark. He's a good type for that, and he's very kind of nimble. You know, like he's he's not you know just kind of lunking around he's very graceful in his movements um it's it's very easy to understand how he could do a flip too like he's there are a couple there are a couple actors who are very good at that you mentioned james gandolfini um and there's other character actors but he's so believable as like a nice guy and you like him that when he turns you totally believe that too it's a very interesting role to watch happen yeah and and in this you know and and i I don't know i kind of i don't really know if i would call this a leftist um it's perspective. Yeah, I don't know if I would either. Um, I think there's a. I, uh, yeah. Well, I would yeah. say that some of the political stuff that they talk about that is popular is leftist. However, I guess it is just generally like things that are open to everyone where it's like you'd want a hospital and it's just a general sense of you'd need a hospital. So, yeah. I yeah. Can I mean, like there's Mussolini few... built shit too. You know, like he, mm. he put his name on everything as well. Uh, yeah. Like it. And it's even, I mean, the film doesn't try to hide that fact. I mean, like the Stark rallies are very 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 callbacks to triumph of the will um and and i even caught that with the first time i watched this which must again must have been back in 2006 um and and i i even the the funny part is i thought uh well that can't happen here uh uh, 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 a patron loving uh, a patron loving uh a patron loving demagogue uh that that a womanizing demagogue Ah, come on now not in this country we're way too I, I, i feel so this there's a couple things that made me feel very mixed upon watching uh, this movie. For one, um, yes, like it's obviously like broadly the story of this guy who was a good guy who fought against the system and ultimately got dragged down in the muck and became a new form of the system himself. It's uh, a more hyper. It reminded me like a a hyper, you know, sort of exaggerated version of, like, the Carcetti storyline from The Wire, almost. Okay, sure. Um, But also, yeah, I do think from the perspective of an average person and not somebody in the personal life of Willie Stark, it seems like this guy did a great deal of good for people. Like, legitimately. And he did say, like, his he was touting extremely socialist ideas. Like, he had signs that said medicine for all men, not something like as a right, not as a privilege or something mm-hmm. like. And it seemed Huey Long was the same way. He had Very a much lot so. of Very redistribute, much so. mm-hmm. redistribute the wealth. And he may have been personally yeah. an unpleasant person. But from the perspective of the people, he wasn't like Donald Trump in that regard, where Trump is not actually giving the people who follow him very much, except for 
they're punishing the people he wants to punish, he seems to be giving them things that are improving their lives. Their kids have schools, they have hospitals, they have roads. Like, right. he's doing things. Yeah. That's true. But, I, but it also, but he also has kind of the personality of he's an asshole, but he's their asshole to a degree. Like, that's well, one of the yes. things I've noticed later. Yeah. And also, like Donald Trump, he refused he refused to make a call on the KKK. So, um, you mean Huey Long? <laughs> yeah, Huey Long, like Donald Trump, doesn't make yeah. a call on the KKK. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, um, yeah there's so, no race stuff in this movie. They kind of they. I don't think there's I even think a black person on screen. I, I mean, that's common for the era, but I, yeah. I also think it was to try to remove it from any. They wanted to keep the state as kind of neutral as possible. It could be, you know fucking Nebraska for all anybody matters. It, I think that they were trying to not make it as prominent. Well, I don't know. Probably just because fucking cheaper. And again, in that era, I'm not surprised. Um, so, but to Robert Rosen's credit, he made a lot of films with like Barry, he made movies with Barry Belafonte, had Dorothy Dandridge in his movies. I mean, he, he to his credit, he he did didn't, what he could uh, at the time. Didn't he also name names? He did, unfortunately. Yep, he sure did. Yeah, well, because yeah. no, I didn't, I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to give him a complete pass because he did. Oh, no, I, I, oh, yeah, he 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 did the initial thing where he's like, "I'm not saying anything. I'm pleading the fifth. And then he came back two years later and named names. Yeah, he sure yeah. did. Um, yeah, and it 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 almost, you know, he didn't do much outside of. I think he only directed like ten films. Um, but and, and even in this film, I think that again, the the trying to mimic of the triumph of the will, I yeah. think that's probably what got the House of it, Un-American it activities on his uh, on his because they they really didn't like when you compared any a politician to a fascist. They really didn't like that. They but, liked it if you compared him to a communist. They're fine with that. But they really didn't like it if you brought up too much of how much uh, how easy it would be for American fascism to take hold in this country. Um, and and. And yeah, that's why I think that it's important to understand political figures like Huey Long, you know, that like and and that this I think this film is trying to underline and I think probably in the novel as well that, you know, power corrupts. That's what power does. Like you it will bring out the worst in you, Um, but also that the idea of stirring up popular whim means that you have to be responsible for it as well. And when you are irresponsible with it, um, the the erosion of either your detractors or your supporters almost becomes permanent. That that erosion of trust between any sort of system of government. When you're the one, you're the messianic figure who's going to come in and save the day and then just become, you know, meet the new boss, same as the yeah. old boss. That's the perils of populism. And... and, and I- and and again in the 1930s when Huey Long was 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 king, um, that was very prominent throughout the globe. They were looking for strong, boisterous demagogues like this. It was very popular. You could you could make an argument that FDR was. I wouldn't, but you could make that argument. Um, and and again, Huey Long was fine with FDR for a while, and then as soon as you get a little bit of power and somebody's got more power than you, your instinct is to well, I've got to get that power. Um, and Huey Long. You know, it's it's again. He's a very controversial figure, and and again, trying to pin him down as some sort of sinner or saint uh, is a fool's errand. And I th- and much less so with Willie Stark. Willie Stark's very cut and dry. That he's he had some good ideas, but then he found out what works. Then he found out what wins, and that is to apply your rage at a political disenfranchisement into mobilization. And that can't, that is a double-edged sword. And, well, I, I got I got a couple things. One, I would say that uh, the rallies reminded me in part, uh, obviously the triumph of the will thing, but the, the thing that actually I thought of first was Charlottesville, given the time that we're living the, in. The, the, mm-hmm. for, the tiki torches. There was a lot of tiki torches <laughs> yeah. in those scenes. Right. And that was just the budget problem, constraints. <laughs> the problem I have with that description of Willie Stark is, so when you use political disenfranchisement as a tool, that is something that a lot of people do. For one, Bernie Sanders does it. For sure. Like, that is something that Donald Trump also does. For sure. And they do it in different ways. Willie Stark is not aiming it at a group of people. He's not saying the immigrants or the blacks are Very coming. Very true. 
Very true. He makes fucking hospitals and museums and schools. So mm-hmm. I don't know that Willie Stark is a cut and dry sinner. Now, obviously, he's horrible in his personal politics and his personal relationships. He has people killed. But I don't know that there's a strong argument that he does not clearly help the the average people of this state. Like, I think he, he very obviously does. He does, but much like Huey Long, he's also very much about um, taking from the rich and giving to the poor. So it is something where he did have a bad guy that he propped up as a straw man, and it was like the rich in this case. Yeah. So he was like, you know, you should have free health care and things like that, which I agree with. Right. And and, and then the, the phony, the political machine that would just keep your their boot on your neck. Oh, by the way, I've hired them in my administration. Just don't ignore Tiny Duffy. <laughs> you know, like that's 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 the sort of. What I'm saying is that there's inherent fraudulism in just blind populism. Um, yeah. You, when you just do things just to satiate the the your constituents, which is what you should be doing, but where you're only doing that, well, just he's only for the speaking, purpose of maintaining your own power. He's only speaking power. to the he's only speaking to the id. He's not speaking yeah, to any yeah, other level. He's not doing it because he cares. He's doing then, it because he wants me, to stay in power. Because they'll vote for him if he builds a fucking hospital. Frame this because I think that and. The author has said this is not supposed to be a book about politics, and maybe it's not. And I think that the thing is, the actual political effect in the macro of Willie Stark as a governor is vaguely alluded to. We know he builds a lot of shit and that he remains pretty popular. His personal politics, his personal relations are the bulk of this film. It's a Shakespearean tragedy it is not really a political commentary as much because I completely agree. What it, he does to, for this state is unclear, but seems good. Uh, I, I will concede that again. It not even, but I think what the story is really about is it goes into politics in so much that politics is power. That's that's about the the yeah. as much I, as it goes into. I actually have a question I want to pose to you guys about this. Because the character, uh, I think, you know, as we've talked about, this is pretty straightforward as far as stories of, uh, you know, absolute power corrupting absolutely. Um, however, he dis- he turns into something way more than just a powerful man. Like, when he starts out, it seems like he's someone who has a lot of empathy. And by the end of the film, he's become a toxic narcissist who's essentially using yes, the yeah. good people in his life as a smokescreen for the bad things he's doing. Like he's, he's manipulating Anne into going to talk to people because he knows that she has a good solid friendship with people. So it's one of those things that like, I'm going to just say a name because fuck him. Um, <clears throat> Max Landis uh, really likes to have, that was how he kind of would pull people in. I'm only saying him because I've had a number of bad interactions with him and I don't mind blowing you his name You can say, up. Ma- everybody knows that Max Landis is a piece of shit. There was a huge yeah. article. It's like, yeah. he's yeah. done. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so the thing is, is that I noticed in, even in the grander sense of people that I knew who happened to know him, he had an extended group of people who were nice people who he would sometimes have argue for his favor in things. So when I was saying he wasn't a good guy, I had a mutual friend that had known him for a long time, and that mutual friend argued with me, no, he's a great guy. In the same way, I saw stuff like that happening in this movie, and it just made me wonder, do you think, did you guys buy that as something that someone could turn into that? Or do you think that it's something that that would be an innate quality of someone and not something they could turn into? It depends because, I mean, the, the way I understand the way the novel's written is there is this sense of, like, nihilism that everything just sort of doesn't matter. Um, so what do morals and ethics really matter anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the whole conflict of ambition versus ethics always plays into that in some respect, I would think. Yeah, um, I think so. I don't know if it's innate in human nature, but I think it's innate in power. Yeah, and it's strange uh, because Willie also starts out as a person who is not directly interested in power itself. Like, he is a person who genuinely views power as a means to do something in the early scenes. Like, he runs for treasurer exclusively because he wants to do something. It's not because he wants the power of being treasurer. Right. And there is, I mean, that's a, I mean, I suppose that there could be a a position where you, if you believe your, 
your having power is inherently a good, then doing whatever is necessary to maintain that power must also inherently be a good. And I think a person could trick themselves into believing that is true. Uh, So I suppose that is probably, and I think probably Willie never thought of himself as the bad guy. Like he says that good comes from evil a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think on some level he always did. Again, this is a position where I think he is unlike Trump, a person who believed he was doing good for the people, for the quote unquote hicks of the country. I don't think Donald Trump gives two fucks about the hicks of the country unless except that they vote for him. But I completely agree. Uh, But like. Like Trump, he let me think about how I want to phrase this like Trump. Stark also confuses the people's will with his maintaining of power. That's what it morphs into. That's and I think that's the mutation that you see and you see the everything falls apart. I mean, even even people under his thumb start to become these kind of ghosts that just sort of float throughout the city. Um, And and that's sort of what kind of struck my button this time around. There's definitely an element of like uh, there's there's often there's a couple interactions with police where Tommy almost kills that girl and they find him unconscious and the police are like, oh, that's the governor's boy. And it's clear that they're not going to charge him. And there's one point where Jack and Anne, uh, a policeman comes up to them and they're like, it's all right. We work for Willie Stark and the cop just like it's clear there's a level of corruption and allowance. Um, Also, you know what? I'm going to give a quick point to. Russell, because I enjoyed that debate about the uh, personal impact of Willie Stark versus his impact on a state or larger macro level. I thought that was an interesting conversation. I'm glad I had it. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll I'll take it. (laughs) Bonus point. There you go. Um, All right. Cool. Uh, No, and that's what it's it's. It's what I love about Robert Rosen does that. He did this a lot in The Hustler. Um, His view of romance is sort of always in this collapsing sort of world that it's in. You know, like one of the most telling shots is is Jack and Anne wandering down the, the docks or whatever. I think the docks or the train yards or something. And it's just this kind of kind of beautiful, lonely shot of these people. And he's very good at highlighting the loneliness of romance and what a scorned love can do for people or not do for people like it it he's very good at it he does it all the time in the hustler um but i mean one of the things that rosen apparently did is and one of the things he constantly does is he shoots a lot he shoots a whole lot the first cut of this film was apparently a mammoth 250 minutes um it's a very famous story that yeah. that that harry cohen of columbia pictures hired robert Parrish to sort of trim it down and and they still weren't happy with it. And the, 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 the story goes is that Rosen told him to just get to the center of every scene and cut everything before and after. Um, and the movie, once you know that, kind of looks like that. Um, that it's yeah. very just, okay, now we're doing this scene. Crossfade into this thing. Crossfade it, into so it. It kind of feels better, though, because I could really do without the long-winded opening and closing of scenes. Like, if a lot of films during this time period have the real annoying habit of having to show people open and close doors, go into an office building, walk upstairs, and open and close doors. It was never just people in an office having a conversation. It was always somebody opening a damn door to yeah. go into an office and have a conversation. Um, it's <laughs> It is funny, though, that they did that that cutting in the middle thing. It almost reminded me of, like, the... Uh, uh, there's a story about James Cameron where he did the same thing on T2 because it came in too long. But in that case, rather than doing what makes sense, uh, he decided to cut out each uh, 24th frame. Right, yeah. He cut out, like... So, yeah. Yeah, because he thought it would speed the film up. And, you know, he just Super made his editor... Genius. Yeah, made the editor sit there and do it. And it was just dip, 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 cut, cut and copy and pasting and choppy all over the place but yeah Super. in this case it was great at least with rosen like it was only his third movie so like i'll i'll talk it up to like he's kind of freewheeling this he's very close to the subject matter you could tell he was very passionate about it but i also think that like he 
kind of sh- bit off more than he could chew, even just shooting a, a pretty simple story like this one. Um, and and yeah, he's he's kind of famous for trimming the fat. In fact, it, it it's part of the reason why Paul Newman never spoke to him again. It kind of blames him for losing the Oscar in 1961 for The Hustler because there's this apparently huge monologue that Paul Newman gives and it hit the cutting room floor and D.D. Allen apparently and Robert Rosen got into it about keeping that scene and Newman apparently always blamed Rosen for that's what cost him the Oscar. Not just that, you know, West Side Story swept everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always find it funny when they trim the fat like that and it works, you know, cause you could, cause I mean, they like go back to phantasm, right. Where they trim the fat of that one. And you're like, well, you, you trip the fat. Sure. But, uh, you lost the path the, of us yeah, getting there. The, the, the story no longer makes sense. Right. Yeah. But then like the wicker man, you know, they cut out tons and you're like, oh, but the story still generally makes sense. And you like it better after it's been cut. Though I'm yes. going through the process yeah. of reconstituting And it's reconstituting for that. different movies. Like, The Wicker yeah. Man, when you're putting together a movie like The Wicker Man, A, the plot is roundly pretty simple in The Wicker Man, and it's also meant to be dreamlike and alienating in a way that a movie like All the King's Men simply is not. Um, yeah, so, that's valid. Yeah, it, the, the editing you would the editing mindset you would take to those two films would be different, I think. Sure. Yeah, and I, you know, and it, it worked. Looked, it worked because it won Best Picture. You know, like it, all the Kings Men beat out uh, Sansa V with Jima or a bunch of other shit. But it's also the year that uh, Baby It's Cold Outside won uh, won Best Song. So <clears throat> could take that for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I thought about this winning, and, and this is one of those movies where you watch it, then you learn that it won Best Picture, and you're like, I could see that. I'll say I, this. I could see that. I'll say this for Baby It's Cold Outside. I'm willing to bet that the songs surrounding it on either side for best song winners i've never heard in my life <laughs> well if you go through the best picture nominees of uh of what the all the king's men beat you would go through a similar thought process uh yeah. there's not much that it was a I pretty remember. pretty light year right yeah uh, i mean mankowitz had a movie uh carol reed uh, it was the year bicycle thieves came out you know i guess anyway oh um, yeah that's a good it's a good movie but i yeah. i'm not surprised it didn't win four and yeah, right, right. in mm-hmm. 1940 especially in italian Foreign film in 1949. Yeah, Yeah, right. Probably not going to (laughs) win. Right, right, right. Post-fascist Italy. Um, Yeah. Um, And here we are in 2008, 2020, and Parasite is best winner. It was the only good thing to happen this year. Um, But yeah, I I think that, you know, what I like about this kind of, I have affection for these kind of 1940s Hollywood black and white films. I don't know why. Maybe it just reminds me of like Home and a rainy day out and Turner classic movies is on. That's just how I would, you know, that was my jam when I was a kid. So I, I guess that's why it kind of lingers pretty <laughs> softly for me, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Just to, to verify my own, uh, my own question. Uh, the year after the best song was Mona Lisa from captain Carey USA. No idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll take by, word by for Ray, it. <laughs> by Ray Evans and John Livingston. The year before, from The Pale Face, was um, Buttons and Bows by Ray Evans and John Livingston. And the year before, 1947's best song, Zippity Doodah. Ah, yes. From Song of the South. Yes, indeed. Yeah. What a wonderful time period. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Maybe it's cold outside, all things considered. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my God. Um, But did you guys find this like more a political thriller? Again, I would say that this is a... Yes, it is. Like, it's about politics as much as the author didn't want it to. Like, it's about the way the public perceives a person, even if that's not the main thrust of the story in terms of, like, the larger public. It's more personal in terms of how we're actually introduced to him and, and seeing the, the various visions of, of this larger-than-life figure we get. But it is more like a tragedy. It is a personal yeah. tragedy, yeah. a Shakespearean tragedy, more than a political thriller to me. It, it, I, feels, I, it feels a little bit more like it'd be closer to like a horror film. It's similar to a tragedy, just because it's the concept that like you don't see him turning into a better person than he dies at the end. It's very nihilistic. Like usually in thrillers, there's the general suggestion that they get the bad guy and then someone wins, but it's there yeah. is no win here. This, it's just the guy dies. This might as well be this might as well be Macbeth, right? I mean, yeah. 
It's a guy who's a relatively decent guy at the beginning, seeks power and does increasingly terrible things to gain and keep it, and ends up dead. Yeah, it, and, you know, I, I guess there's no Lady Macbeth, so to no, speak. No, there isn't. He's um, kind of his own worst impulse, but... I, my litmus test was there was a political assassination, therefore, political thriller. <clears throat> I'm not going to disqualify it. Okay. Yeah, no, it was fun. <laughs> was I had a great time with it, yeah. Um, it is a fun movie. Um, I, I guess I could that could kind of transition me to my final thoughts, I guess, on it, unless you've guys got more shit to talk about. I just had uh, one thing I want to ask you guys. Do you guys feel the overwhelming urge when giant blocks of text appear on screen in old films to pause and read the article? <laughs> no, but I know you do. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things, like, because I know that they would have initially not let you do that because it was, you know, a film, you're sitting in the theater, so it's all there. You couldn't. But now you can stop it and read it. And I could tell that with the article they showed that the uh, newspaper man wrote, someone went through and did a lot of work making it a legitimate article. Ah. They went into detail on it. They made it read like an actual article. And I was always impressed, or I was impressed in this case, because usually in these you see like, Dear so-and-so, yabbada, 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 ellipsis, ellipsis, ellipsis. And then it doesn't really show you the entire breadth of what they're doing. But in this case, they sat down, did the entire article. So I was just wondering if you guys get driven nuts by that in old movies or any movies where someone shows a document and I'm just like, all right, let me pause the movie. No, uh, I'm going to say rarely, Chris. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to say I'm very, very, very rarely. I've done a few times, but I usually don't. I, I, um, I know when I do it whenever there's something that shows up in anything you're in that you get to decide on, because then I know that you're going to put something in there. Um, did, did I ever tell yeah. my, my little brother? I can't wait until the my, movie trap has a reason to throw like a spinning newspaper at the screen. <laughs> Russell Carlson attacked by wild ferrets. Here's the story. I, I, I'll tell you this story real quick, because it reminds me, my little brother will never forgive me because I recommended uh, No Country for Old Ben to him back in the day. Uh And he thought that he had to pay attention to every fucking frame of that film. He literally thought that the serial numbers on the money that Josh Brolin finds are somehow significant to the story. And I don't know where he got that idea that that's how you're supposed to watch that fucking movie because I would have a boring time watching that movie if I took it, if I was going through all that. As well. Anyway, it's just, what, what so, did he think he was going to get out of that? I have no idea. That's and and, and wouldn't you, you know it's like an he walked away disappointed. I don't know. <laughs> wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't you know it? He walked away disappointed because there was nothing there to dig into. Anyway, uh, my my little brother and I get in constant arguments. We, we're still not over <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. Um, but yeah, I, I guess okay. I'll move on to my final thoughts. Um, unless anybody else has got anything, I, I it's a fucking good movie. Um, yeah. you know, it's it's eerily prescient as i said earlier in today's parlance um considering that um populist demagoguery is back and in full effect um and and showing political fruit not on the side that i would root for (laughs) but Mm -hmm. that's uh the sort of the scary part about it i thought uh broderick crawford uh who apparently was drunk the whole time according to don siegel um which, you know, didn't have to do, act that hard to play Willie Stark. Um, <laughs> t- he's undoubtedly the engine that drives this film. But I, I would argue that the supporting cast around him um, helps carry that movie as well, especially Sadie and, and Jack, because they're, that by the end of it, they're just ground down into, like I said, like kind of these just husks of just instruments. You're just pieces on a board for Willie to sort of whatever he could do to save his own ass. Uh, um, and yeah, and it, it says a lot about power and, and ethics and and alcoholism, I guess, and and and, and in some respects, politics. I mean, I, 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 I'm sort of with you, Zach, that I think that the, the political nature of what Willie accomplishes is merely just to underline the fact that he has very popular support because he's doing things for his constituents, which on its face would be admirable. Yeah. Uh. So I guess I'll go next. Yeah, I think there are, um, yeah, the, the, the demagoguery or cult of personality stuff is probably the most politically relevant stuff in this movie. Uh, the scene where he switches his speech from like the, the mundane, this is what we need to do. These are my policies to the big, like we're all hicks and I'm a hick like you. And we're going to kick the ass of these guys. Like I'll, I'll break them down myself with my bare hands if I have to kind of stuff. And 
that is something that is popular and works. And I think I've seen people argue that this is something that only exists in certain realms of the political spectrum, right? Like it only exists on the right. It only exists in like the center left or it only exists on the far left or one of those is exempt. I think that's bullshit. Every single area of the political spectrum has these cults of personalities and they fall in love with people who have speeches that are more fire than substance a lot of time. And that's not always bad. I think people need to be more aware of it. I think people pretend it doesn't apply to them. And I think it's one of the most uh, important things that this film highlights um, and is a huge factor in the popularity of the current president, perhaps the single most driving factor. Um, So on that level, yeah, I think there is something to learn from this film. And I think that uh, it is a good personal smaller scale tragedy if you just look at the personal interpersonal life of Willie Stark and forget about the grand platform he uh, obtains over the course of this film. I think it's a well done movie. It won Best Picture. It's, you know, it's you watch one of these old movies from the 40s and if they're good, they're just good. And this is this is just good. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that kind of echoes my thoughts, too. I like the film really well. Um uh, I did think it, it feels extremely strange to be seeing a origin story for, I said this to you guys before the show, an origin story for Trump. It's very <laughs> weird. <laughs> At least I think that was before the show. Maybe that was during the show. Um, <laughs> but the thing is that... Um, well, it's Trump very... didn't have to learn the sociopathy. No, God. Yeah. <laughs> Kinda, if you believe his sister. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's... Con- uh, it, I mean, by the time this comes out, we might not. Oh, God, I hope we don't have him as president anymore. Well, he'll um, still be president, but it might be lame duck. Yeah, I'm hoping he's a lame duck by then. Um, so well, it was interesting. It, it was fun. It was one of the things I thought was funny is he got so hung over, he turned into Hitler. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. What's the worst hangover you guys All right, have had? Boy, if you got my point. There you go. You like, got for my me, point. That was for good. Me, the, the, the worst hangover I ever had was just, uh, I went to a, a zoo and I was out in the heat and there was a small child with us who kept screaming about the javelinas because he was so excited to see the javelinas and it was just like a pick in my skull the whole time. But I didn't turn into Hitler. Have you guys had any experience where you got like... A really crazy hangover? Honestly, the worst... There's a decent <laughs> chance that the worst hangover I've ever had was spent at... With Russell and our other friends watching movies for an entire day and eating greasy food. I suspect if I ever had a terrible... <laughs> there's been a few, like, 6, 7 a.m. nights where we woke up four hours later and it was hard. Uh, no, I only get into a dictatorial rage uh, when I can't buy my keys. That's when, or a printer doesn't work or anything. That's when they get the full force. Of I mean, the state. I'm pretty. Sh- I'm pretty sure I've heard you get very, very vindictive over hockey, though. I'm pretty oh, sure that oh, there's certain. Oh yes. Oh uh-huh. yes. That's that's. Oh, for sure. I mean, okay, and that- so that'd be your trigger. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't take much, Chris. A video game, you know, I'm playing a Mario fucking game, and I don't know why I keep playing these games because I'm awful at them. Um, anyway. Well- I gotta um, say, that's, that's uh, my thoughts, though. I thought it was a great movie. I don't have any real criticisms of it. I think it's a uh, prescient of the current time, and uh, I'm probably going to suggest it to people in the future. Okay. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, before I uh, before we hand it off to Zach to let us know what we're watching next, let's just do a quick rundown of the points vis-a-vis bonus point situation. Chris Porif just got a point from me for hungover Hitler from Russell, <laughs> and uh, I got a point on the personal impact vis-a-vis political impact uh, discussion. So, huzzah. So now, as of as of the count now, Chris will have 11 points to vote. Zach will have 10 and I will have 11. All right. Uh, Okay. so uh, now for my pick. There were a few, you know, real political classics that I uh, regret to say I haven't seen, but I also feel like you guys ate my lunch on a couple of them. Uh, I had considered a face in the crowd, but all the king's men. You want a you want a movie about a demagogue rising written by somebody who named names? Well, you already did it. You can't do it twice. It'd be a waste of time. Uh, you know, the Manchurian Candidate never saw it, but uh, Parallax View. It's like uh, assassination conspiracy shit. Uh-huh. I can't. For sure. So I'm going to preface my 
my choice is down to two, and I'm going to preface it by asking if either of you have not seen one of the two. And I think Russell's seen them both. Okay. So, Chris, have you not seen either In the Loop or The Death of Stalin? I have not seen The Death of Stalin. I'm we did go in with... the loop. We did in the loop for uh, for film concussion back oh, in the day. Great. Then let's do the death of Stalin. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to stretch the term political thriller a bit. I feel like the third person always has to stretch. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's becoming it's becoming a bit of a, a a theme that the person who picks third is like. I'm going to go for something a little out of the uh, box. Off the wall. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, Borf with a Halloween with Wicker Man was pretty on track for the yeah, 70s. Yeah. That's you the know. one exception. But yeah. but uh, everything else, you know, color out of space. Was it really isolationist? Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, it really fun? Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> the police academy cops were bad cops. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so. We're gonna uh, thrill. We're gonna have a political death gonna, of solid. Okay, yeah, political comedy uh, available Ari on Nucci. Netflix. So yep. easy to get yep. if you like to watch along at home. Yep. Hopefully, still available when this airs. Uh, <laughs> awesome. I I love this movie. So I've got I've, I've certainly got a lot to talk about. I, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it since this has been on my to watch list and I have almost watched it a few times. I was on a plane one time and then I think something distracted me and another time there was a movie on the screen and something distracted me. So it has been distracted from me twice and I will now sit down and actually watch it for you guys. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So next, tune in next time for Zach's pick for The Death of Solid in the political thriller round. Um... Yeah, well, that was fun, and I'm excited to see uh, Death of Stalin again. All right. Well, uh, this is Chris signing off. Take care of yourselves. Uh, this is Russell signing off. Thanks for listening. And this, in the correct order, is Zach <laughs> signing it. off. We did it. <laughs> you know what? You're the best. All right. for Chris for starting it off, starting off the order correctly. And a late, a late point for Zach for okay, guys, uh, the giving me the over. chance. There's no more points given out. No, no, no. Zach already gave his point. No, no. <laughs> I'm the only one with ten here. Come on. Uh, I, you, you, you're not getting a point. Oh, come on, fellas. Let's relax. It's a hot day. I'll have some orange pop if you don't mind. Orange pop? All right, sugar boy. Bring him some orange pop. The, the, the pop sale is sold, sold out. <laughs> Did you hear that, boys? The pop is sold out. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a card. He stutters, Mr. Duffy. But you, you don't say anything. Let's go, mister. <laughs> <laughs>